We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. Oh, oh goodness! Stunning! With the pass! Devontae Deep! Oh my goodness! Oh, I don't believe it! A 35-9 grab! All right, welcome into another Buzz Beat, your Charlotte Hornets podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This is Richie, and I'll be joined by Brian and Spencer to recap the game against the New York Knicks with the Hornets winning 109-88. The Hornets are now 6-5 six and five and 6th place in the East, 11 games into the season. Uh, we will also discuss some of your questions. We got a ton of listener input, so we're going to knock out a couple of questions with this recording. Spencer, Brian, how's everything going with you guys? Do you guys enjoy the game? Four straight wins uh, this earlier in the year. I would not have, have predicted that. Yeah, I did. I, I did enjoy the game. I mean, Charlotte's defense is really starting to find itself here. You know, I know this was against, you know, arguably when it's all said and done, maybe the worst offensive team in the league in New York, certainly when it comes to shooting. But um, the Hornets have, have kind of settled into – this t- more traditional two, three zone style um, with a lot less uh, rotations to it. The guards are trying to funnel the ball to the middle, keep everything in front. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not as confusing, I think, as this matchup zone they were trying to play. I- I- I'm still not actually sure what they were trying to play in those first few games of the season, but this zone they've got now, I mean, it- they're keeping the ball in front a lot more. They're kind of inviting teams to shoot it from the outside and going to live with the results. And they're rebounding it um, a little bit better, too. So I think that's really where the Hornets have turned a corner is the defensive end of the of the four. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed, I enjoyed the game tonight. Uh, sort of like an end-to-end finish. They crushed New York's starting five. Uh, the starters for New York were minus 20 tonight, um, in, uh, which is not real easy to do. Uh, they, they were minus 20 in about 16 minutes of action. Shout out to Tom Thibodeau for playing his starting lineup for 16 minutes in this game to um, never change. And I know that you won't, so I can feel confident in saying <laughs> that, Tibbs. Uh, yeah, Charlotte leading the NBA defensively in a number of zone possessions per game, about 17 zone possessions per game of defense, allowing about 0.86 points per possession, which is not uh, too bad. That's by far the most uh, per game 
Like I'm not sure the frequency basis. I have to go double check that, but I do want to shout out our guy, uh, polar who pointed that out on Twitter last night. Um, good little tidbit. Of course they are still yielding plenty of like juicy shots. Um, Charlotte entered the night tonight last in the NBA an opponent volume, uh, field goal attempts on corner threes, 14.2% and, uh, uh, 28th in the NBA, in terms of frequency of uh, field goal attempts for opponents at the rim, 39%. Um, so yeah, still uh, still a little bit of stuff to clean up. And I think New York is the exact type of like slow processing team. I mean, how many possessions in the first half, you know, before New York would turn the ball over, where it was it catch, face up, think, think, pass, catch, think it, it was like, it was incredible how slow they were at like popping the ball around. Um, I, I suppose that's also going to happen when Julius Randall is your like middle third playmaker, you know, like get it, let's get the ball to Jr. and let him face up for 25 feet. And yeah. I, I feel like your offense is probably not going to be the most uh, dynamic in terms of passing and side to side movement. So that certainly helped for Charlotte tonight, but uh, yeah, four straight wins. Holy crap. What did you think, Richie? No. Yeah. I enjoyed it as well. I enjoyed it as well. And I think to your point, Brian, this was the perfect team to unleash the zone even more. So I'm sure those numbers and those frequency numbers with the zone possessions are only going to go up after this game. The Knicks came into this game, I believe last in the NBA in three point percentage. So uh, it, it made perfect sense to kind of pack in the zone. I think outside of the defense, I think we got a point to Gordon Hayward having another great game. It seems like he's had like three or four straight games in which he's produced, made mm -hmm. great shots, uh, you know, in the mid range. I think one thing with him is obviously I already knew this about him, but it, it's just it's good to see how crafty of a player he is. He's not explosive. He's not this athlete that's going to jump out of the building, but just with his well-timed cuts and, and doing all the little things on the court that you see with him, um, it was on full display tonight. He had 34 points. He had a plus minus of 25 and he shot the ball 65% from the floor. And then also Devonte Graham breaking out of his, well, I think it's, it might be too early to say breaking out of a slump, but he had a, had a really good game uh, tonight. And I think in the first quarter, we saw him score at the rim. We saw him score as a mid-range pull-up shooter, and we saw him score in a floater as well. So it's good to see him make some shots, especially with LaMelo, especially early on. LaMelo was a little bit slow to start this game. Yeah, going back um, to the half-court defense that we've talked about a little bit, New York didn't even get the .7 points per possession in the half-court tonight, kind of to Brian's point about how methodical they were and how long it took them to get into their sets. You know, I, I think New York's their success on offense has come this year by isolating Julius Randle, him reading the help defense and playing out of that. And so this was just a perfect, perfect opponent um, for the Hornets' zone because – Number one, they just neuter that. Randall can't ISO against his own. At least it's really hard to do so. And then they can't shoot. So, I mean, it's, it's really a perfect team to just say, go ahead, try to shoot over the top, as New York tried to do and didn't do it successfully, shooting about 24% from deep. So, um, Gritchie, great point about Hayward. I mean, there's this thing. <laughs> I keep thinking about it, Zach, trying to figure out how he's doing it. I mean, he's been awesome in the mid-range area, in the mid-post area. I think Borrego's done a really, really nice job 
whether it be Devontae Graham, two-man game, to just get him the ball, get a switch 50% of the time off this little two-man game with either Devontae or LaMelo, gets the ball around the nail in the mid-post area, and he just punishes these smaller guys. I mean, he's a very strong wing. I mean, I, don't, I, think, I think we all kind of know that, but that has been a part of his game that I don't think gets talked about enough because he, he is not the athlete he once was, not even close. I mean, I, I would almost kind of contest that he's a little bit ground-bound at this point in his career, but how his, the, the way he plays physical, I think is something that he's still developing, honestly, you know, and, and I think that's, that's one of the ways Gordon Hayward is going to uh, extend his career is by being a really good post wing player. And I think he is already. Yeah. This has got to feel to Hayward, like a little bit like Utah, right? Where you've got um, an offense where maybe he's not quite the primary guy, uh, in terms of ball handling duties, but for usage and scoring, like he's the guy, uh, the primary ball handler. And again, this comparison is imperfect, but you've got, you know, Rubio, LaMelo parallels, um, really good pass first guard to set the table for him. And in speaking of passing, like you have a team that's just sort of pass happy and runs good ATOs, so, you know, again, sort of juxtaposing uh, Quinn Snyder uh, and those, those like, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018 jazz teams with uh, the Hornets. Now, obviously not in the same category uh, defensively. doesn't really fit there, but just looking at offense. And yeah, it's probably got to be a little refreshing after a couple years of, you know, Kyrie Irving and injuries. And, um, you know, I mean, I Tatum really evolved as a playmaker last year too, but just like he's got like two legit table setters for him now. Um, with LaMelo and with Devontae Graham and he gets plenty of ball handling possessions too. Uh, there was one earlier in, the, earlier in the game, one of the first possessions where PJ was in a small ball five. They just went right, right into spread pick and roll with, with PJ and, and Gordon Hayward and, and got a good look out of that. And that sort of goes to another point, which is that when they play PJ at five, like, you know, they can get really hurt on the glass. They can get hurt at the rim offensively or pardon me, defensively, but those offenses can really fly. Um, and they can dot it with dot the arc with shooters, with playmakers, guys that want to get, that can, you know, uh, get into gaps, guys that can multiple guys that can run a pick and roll, multiple guys that can screen basically everyone in those lineups, you know, if it's going to be, Hayward, some combination of Hayward, LaMelo, uh, Graham, you know, Rozier, Bridges, uh, Washington, like everyone in that group they have set screens with so far this mm-hmm. season. If, if you're going to include the little like ghost blur screens with Rozier, but all of those dudes are setting screens. I would love to, I tweeted this out a night or two ago, but like, I'd love to know it, where Charlotte ranks just in terms of like possessions where a non center screens for somebody. Like, like where a guard or a wing screens, I, I'd love to know because given how much they're doing two-man with Hayward and in the second game against Atlanta, they inverted that and had LaMelo screen and then turn into a short roll guy when Atlanta was trying to avoid the Trey Young switch matchup with Hayward, um, getting good downhill off and just creating advantage like this. But you take away the primary option, we'll snap into secondary look and probably get an even better shot off of it. Both those resulted in PJ getting rim finishes off a, off an assist from 
um, LaMelo. Not, not, I think there was one of those possessions tonight. Um, but, but not, not, not quite as, as much of that, but yeah, just, I like when they play the three guard lineups, uh, and there's a, I'd have to check the stats on it, but when they go Graham, Rozier, LaMelo, Hayward, and PJ, we got to come up with a nickname for that lineup. <laughs> like for like, with like the, when the Hornets go real, real small and go with the three guards plus Hayward as like the de facto four and PJ at five, we got to come up with a name for that lineup. I, I think somehow, some way. And, um, yes, like, you know, when Zeller eventually returns to the lineup, it will be big for them because, you know, they, they need a couple of the things that he, he brings to the table, but it will be interesting to see what like Biz's role will be mm-hmm. because these lineups with PJ at the five, um, you know, if Biz is really in your like eight, nine man rotation, it's going to be harder to get to these blinds with PJ at center when really those are your best, easily your best offensive uh, mixes. I, I tend to think that the minutes for Biz won't go away when Cody comes back. The lineups with PJ at the five have been really good this season, especially compared to last season where I didn't feel like the numbers backed up the fact that he was playing well as a small ball five. Uh, the Hornets are getting to the spots where they want to be. Uh, they're shooting the ball well from deep when PJ is out there. And, and like you said, there's a lot of screening action, a lot of misdirection. I will say this, though, like if you just look at PJ's performance over the course of this 11 games, I don't feel like he's playing all that well. So I, I don't know exactly why him as, a, as an individual is not playing well. But when he's out there as a five, it just feels like he's playing more free and the lineups themselves are, are doing well with him out there as a five. So even in tonight's game, I don't think PJ made that much of an impact. He's not really scoring the ball around the hoop as much as I would want him to. Uh, his three-point shot is, is is iffy right now, but what, for whatever reason, him at the five is definitely working for this Hornets team. All right, let's take a break real quick. We want to tell you guys about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and you just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive a personal cover art, Q&As with the Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you get all this for just $15 a month, the same rate as many other hosting sites would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience acceptance into the program is limited so get your application in today to apply go to bwhustle.com slash join check out the description box in this episode to find out more but that's bwhustle.com slash join we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, so <laughs> the three-guard lineup, uh, Graham, Rozier, Ball, Hayward at four, Washington at five. We haven't seen much of it at all this season. I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if that lineup played tonight, honestly, but I don't think so tonight. No, I don't okay, think yeah. So 17 possessions, uh almost 1.5 points per possession on offense and yeah. uh defensively about 0.9 points per possession for the opposition. So that's a plus about 50. Uh <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty good. I mean, 17 possessions not a uh not a great sample, but uh, I, think, <laughs> I think that we need to, we need to see a little bit more yeah. um, with PJ though. Uh, you know, I think he, I think he's looking better every game to me um, a little bit yeah. more in shape. He just doesn't have the burst he had last year. I mean, on, on either end, he, I, I think he's still kind of racking up the blocks um, and probably the same clip, maybe even a little bit more this year. I think this zone defensive scheme is helping him there. That the helps a little bit. Mm-hmm little shallower, but, um, he just doesn't have the same burst offensively, but I do think he's, he's coming online a little bit more every single game. So I, I think by mid season, we're going to recognize the PJ, PJ Washington, at least I hope. Yeah. I, th- I thought he flashed a little bit of goodness in, 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 uh, the Atlanta games and then tonight. Yeah. The numbers aren't great, but I thought he was at least aggressive without turning the ball over driving at Randall early in the game. And and maybe got a finish and got some free throws on another attempt. But like, as long as he's doing that and if not turning the ball over, you know, we'll live, we can, we can totally live with him having off, you know, off nights finishing at the rim. Obviously you want to see him put those down at a good clip, but um, PJ being aggressive is, is good as long as it's not turning into fast breaks going in the, uh, the, uh, the other direction. Let's talk about LaMelo Ball real quick. He did not have a, a great game shooting the ball. He had a slow start, pretty quiet game overall, especially early on. But, man, he is killing it on, on the glass. Had 14 <laughs> rebounds in total. And, yeah. again, that just keeps adding to the Hornets' transition offense, grabbing and going. He had this full-court pass to Hayward, I believe, in the first quarter. And then when the game was finally put away towards the end of the game, you just see that synergy with him and Bridges when they come up and they have that horn set and, and Bridges just slips slips to the basket. I think there was like back-to-back possessions or something like that late in the fourth quarter where him and Bridges playing together just, just worked so well. I mean, the game was out of hand at that point, but I like seeing that duo together. I will say this. I will say this. I know they didn't shoot the ball great, two for six from three-point line. That has been my biggest surprise with LaMelo has not been the rebounding or passing, obviously. That, that's something that I felt like would translate right away. But him shooting the ball is actually more advanced than I thought he would be at this point. Not that he's like lighting the world on fire right now, but his three-point shot as weird as it looks down low, like with his feet, he's making them at a higher percentage than I thought he would. Yeah. I mean, look, he's, he's shooting the ball right at 40% right now, maybe a little, little under that after two of six tonight, but 
you know, and, and he's done it in both ways. We've seen the last few games, it's more off the dribble. I mm-hmm. think both of his threes tonight came in the fourth quarter. And if I'm not mistaken, both were off the dribble. Uh, so, I mean, he, you know, Lamelo doesn't lack in confidence. He's going to let it go. And, you know, early on the season, it, it's going in. We'll see. I mean, you know, even if Lamelo ended the season at like 32, 33% for behind the arc, I don't think anybody's panicking yeah. at that point. Totally you know fine. I mean? like, totally fine. Yeah. Who, who cares? I mean, it, yeah. you know, that, that will clean itself up over time. Um, but I mean, the, like what you were getting to Richie, the rebounding, I mean, he's, he's an incredible rebounder, which the numbers suggested, but you know, before he came to the league, but I think what I'm most impressed with is, uh, how he attacks the glass on both ends. I mean, he really puts his body on the line when he goes for these rebounds too. I mean, he's, he's not just, you know, wandering in there and, and, and snatching it away from a teammate that's been boxing out or something like that. I mean, he really puts himself on the line to, to go grab these rebounds. So, you can't say enough good things about Lamelo to start this season. We don't need to go into the passing. It's it's always incredible, um, but the efficiency the efficiency he's playing with right now, mm-hmm. he's making winning plays. Yeah, I tweeted this out the other day. It's like, look, uh, if the Rookie of the Year award was about you know some kind of intersection between stats and actually helping your team win, Lamelo Ball, like it's it's his. It's not. There's nobody else close. Maybe Halliburton, but he's cooled off. But it's not. That's not the award. It's a scoring award. Um, so we're, we'll see where it ends up. But I mean, Lamelo is a huge part of the reason the Hornets just won four straight games. He is. A, he is a showing very early on. He's a winning player. And you know, I got to say, I, I've been very pleasantly surprised. I, I did not did not expect Lamelo to come in the, to come into the NBA and be as professional um, with his effort, with his consistency, and being a great teammate. Uh, just everything that's come with the package. It, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, how many 19 year olds do we see, you know, come in and do this right away? It's really, really impressive. V- very few to, to answer your, uh, your question there. Like he is, yeah, like he's fa- There's a ways to go in his development. I've, I've done a, a couple radio hits the last couple of days where people want me to gush about mellow, which is super duper fun. And of course you got to like tap the brakes at least a little bit because there's a ways to go. And you saw like the finishing at the rim was not great tonight. One of four at the rim, oh three from uh, you know inside or from four to fourteen feet. And uh, Richie, you brought this up too, just like sort of like his his form and consistency. You know, shooting those three pointers, it's sort of like a you know a duck below the water, just like <laughs> legs not, not moving in different directions each and every time. But it's going in at a at a pretty good clip, which is. Uh, Makes it more palatable, at least for now, but long-term, maybe we'll need to find like, so, sort of a more stable ground when it comes to what the pull-up form uh, looks like. But yes, he's been just incredible. It's, I, I mean, I, I, I love LaMelo as a prospect heading into the season, but like he's impacting winning in just ways. I just didn't, even I wasn't quite ready for him to do Spencer. You mentioned the winning plays like he is a nose for the ball, 50, 50 balls, loose balls, weird caroms in so many ways. LaMelo is built for like the modern game or where basketball is and and maybe where it's headed. And and he'll be sort of like a catalyst for change. And I think a lot of that comes with the pull-up shooting. A lot of it comes with the, the hit ahead passes, which are amazing and we would be remiss to not mention the the, the TD toss he had to Hayward. Mm-hmm. The just 80 to 85 feet in the air, like restricted area to restricted area on the, on the, like a, just a, a frozen rope of a throw. In the bread basket. It, it's yeah. incredible how that thing just hangs in the air. Just 
a howitzer of a, of a pass. I'm not sure if I'm more impressed that he can pull that off or I'm more impressed the fact that he always tries that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he just, he doesn't care. Yeah. He's going to try it. A, a sneaky underrated part about that, that play. I mean, obviously the pass was amazing, but Gordon Hayward, he almost acted as if he was going to catch it and bring it back outside the three point line. And he just mm -hmm. kind of slowly turned and, and hit the mid range shot. Yeah, that's what you can do when you're like the number one option, right? Like whatever shot you want, you got it, buddy. You know, like you don't have to pull that thing out, wait for, you know, your your other star to get up across half court and whatever. Like, and yeah, like he he clearly knows, like he and he and LaMelo are developing a bit of a rhythm. LaMelo's developing a rhythm with a lot of guys too, but it's also like the, the pick and pop passing with, with ball has been incredible too. Those behind the back, passes of uh, the off a live dribble, the hook passes mm -hmm. when he's able to get into the paint and sort of, you saw this in transition in and half court tonight, his ability to like sort of like hang in the air, wait or, or sort of like hold his dribble in the final third of the court and then drop it off to whomever's running. If you just run the court with this guy, like he's going to get you yep. good looks. Yep. It's probably one of the reasons why Caleb Martin is, is playing well and found like, you know, somewhat yeah. of, at least offensively he's playing well and has found somewhat of a rotation spot. Like he's become, he's basically playing Monk's role from a season ago, like guard who can pressure rim and, and LaMelo has probably helped him unlock some of that same with, with, uh, with bridges. But yeah, like I, I had, I had some larger point I was making about LaMelo before I wanted to go on the, the passing tangent, but uh, I'll have to see if I can, if I can come up with it again, but we just, we have a ways to go in terms of the pull-up shooting, getting stronger, finishing at the rim, you know, who knows, Spencer, you and I talked about this last week, but like how much better can he get in season? You know, does he, does he need a full off season? How, how much can he add as a basketball genius, which in some ways LaMelo certainly is, um, you know, how much better can he get uh, from year one to year two? Oh, the, sorry to circle back one last thing on the, on LaMelo, but I was talking about how maybe he, like his game is sort of tailored and designed in certain ways for where the game is, but if you're thinking about long rebounds, like his ability to track loose balls, get that long rebound, and then immediately flip into transition, like that's just another part of his game that sort of fits with where basketball is. Like he, people are taking a ton of threes, more, more and more every year, more and more long rebounds. And so having a you know a vacuum cleaner like that on the defensive end is um yeah is a, is a is a real asset, I think. And I think one thing too about LaMelo, it, it, with the assist, you can obviously just pull those highlights up on NBA.com, but he also makes great passes that, you know, don't show up in the box score because they're not assists. There was this one play in the, golly, I think it's like the first or second quarter. I cannot remember. He made a pass, live dribble pass with his left hand, basically, basically across the width of the court to Rozier. Rozier missed the shot. Or, or that definitely didn't end in an assist. I'll put it that way. But little things like that, if you're not watching this team night in and night out, he makes passes that are just so unbelievable that you will not see on the highlights because they don't always end up in assist. Mm -hmm. Before we get to the listener questions, Spencer, Brian, any lasting thoughts on this game? I don't think so. I mean, it was nice to see Devontae. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of sort of. I mean, you brought it up earlier, Richie, but I pretty big smile on my face in those two or three floaters that he had tonight. <laughs> um, now we just got to... Got to figure out how to get him going from behind the arc. He he he's shooting the ball on the way down. I mean, I and I don't know if that has, I don't know if that's a conditioning thing. I don't know what it is, but he it's just not coming out of his hand as fluidly and on the way up as it was last year. You know, he got to the point, and that's why his range was so deep last year at one point because it was so effortless coming out of his hand. 
Um, he's just, it, it's not the same this year. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I don't know if it's a conditioning thing, but I do think Devonte will get back to being a pretty good shooter at some yeah. point this season. Uh, agreed. Agreed. And, and I'm glad you brought up Devonte. He's such an important player for this team. He was so obviously their best offensive player a season ago. And I know they've added Gordon Hayward and LaMelo, but he was so like, he, he, everything good that they did offensively last year basically came from something that that guy was doing. Seven assists, one turnover tonight. Four of those assists were at the rim um, for rim finishes. LaMelo had five rim assists, which is also pretty good. Um, the pacing was good for Charlotte in this game too. Like they were maybe a little bit slower, 15 seconds per offense, 15.3 seconds per offensive possession. That's been for most of the season, that's been like in like the three, 13.6, 13.7 range, which is top 10 uh, in the NBA. Some nights they're, they end up, you know, they're top six or seven in the league. So as we've discussed, they're playing faster and uh, maybe a little bit uh, more methodical tonight playing against the, the, you know, the, that Knicks team. But like Spencer said, great to see Devonte get going, uh, shook loose for some open bombs. And then, yeah, some of the mid range and float game against uh, New York dropping in the, the pick and roll was, was good to see they, they like if they're going to actually make the playoffs this year which is Devonte's got to be an, an ace for them offensively hey richie real quick before we move on i just and the team actually retweeted this out um stat muse on twitter let's not all get too excited but uh i think it's worth lifting up gordon hayward 22 and a half points per game that's a career high so far 50.3 field goal percentage career high Forty point four three point percentage, um, not a career high. Career high, it's got to be close. And from the free throw line, almost ninety four percent career high. So uh, let's not get carried away. But um, <laughs> and Dylan Jackson actually tweeted out earlier: Is Gordon Hayward underpaid? <laughs> I got a good chuckle out of that. <laughs> so, just, right. just get. Uh, it's funny you say that because, like, just get ready because, like, I can already bet. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's going to take like a. It would take another win here, but like. I can just see if maybe if like COVID wasn't like rampaging through the league and people were having to report on that, but I just like in, in talk about it and analyze that or whatever. But like, I, I get the feeling like the gears of the national media are like going to like set their sights on Charlotte soon enough. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I would ready. Yeah. Get your swords out. <laughs> yeah. Here they, here they come. Here they come. Uh, but also like how many people that like were chortling about the Hayward edition, like six weeks ago, literally six weeks ago are just going to love, are going to be very happy to like talk about how well Gordon Hayward is playing without mentioning like whatever, like, you know, snarky one liner was said in a podcast about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was just glaze right over that. Um, I know people, I know this is obviously supposed to be the best year of Hayward's contract. And I don't think the three of us were overly thrilled about that addition, but, uh, for various reasons, but we understood why it was made. And now you're seeing basically the best version of it. You could on the court in terms of his production offensively. Yeah. I feel like his situation is very similar to that of Terry Rozier in terms of the criticism that they both received when they first were acquired by Charlotte, different situations, obviously, but, uh, it felt like the criticisms of the contract outweighed a lot of the other things. And then speaking of COVID to Brian's point, 
the Hornets are supposed to be playing the Dallas Mavericks next, but their game was postponed tonight against the Pelicans. So who knows if that game is still going to be on. I'm sure that's still up in the air um, as you know, they've got to field a team. So they had multiple players test positive for COVID today, literally today, the 11th of January. ESPN was reporting multiple guys tested positive today for Dallas. All right. So the two questions that we're going to touch upon real briefly here, the first question comes from at camp in the 803. How would you construct this team long-term around LaMelo moving forward? I know you can't specifically say what players, but maybe archetypes and players who fit each archetype. So we've definitely seen the type of player that, that LaMelo is. He's unselfish. He's a top tier passer. He's a crafty finisher. He's improving on the defensive side of the court. I mentioned this a couple episodes ago about just him getting hands in the passing lane. As far as the types of players that you would want long-term around LaMelo, I think surrounding him with smart players, like a Gordon Hayward that understand angles, understand when to cut players that are willing to do that stuff to move off ball are, are just going to be pluses for this team surrounding with those types of players. Also a big man. I feel like you need to grab a big man that can dive to the rim is a little bit more agile and nimble than maybe biz is in the pick and roll game. And then defensively in terms of surrounding him with players, I think he's going to improve on that side of the court just because he's six seven, uh, and he has instincts on that end. But as always, you're probably going to want to surround him with defensive-minded players. But the biggest thing to me to answer this question, uh, when building a roster for LaMelo, I, I think it's got to be focused on the offensive end, get shooters, get players that can cut. Uh, you're going to have a team that will highlight and, and kind of complement his strengths uh, if you do that. So that that's my answer to this question. Uh, I mean, a good start would be Evan Mobley um, <laughs> as a fit. I think uh, about I that. I think about that yeah. literally every day. <laughs> yeah, uh, me too. I, me I've too. seen all but two of Mobley's games so far this year, and I am, uh, yeah, I'm obsessed. He's awesome. Yeah, he. That would be a great start. I, we'll see where the Hornets end up. They, they're probably not going to be. Well, I mean, we'll see where they end up. But yeah, probably um, not. But maybe, maybe. Yeah, but probably not. Um, still, still a floor to fall through here. So we'll see yeah. what happens. But. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I think I, seriously, Mobley, like to me, it should start at the five position because the Hornets just don't have anything there. And I think you want a guy, like you said, Richie, that is, uh, you know, that, that can dive to the rim and finish Mobley's that, but, but I think you also want with LaMelo. And the reason I, I want a big, that can step out and hit it too, is because I, I'm just going to kind of assume LaMelo ends up being a 33 to 35%, you know, three point shooter, um, just to guesstimate, maybe he's better early returns look good, but I think LaMelo needs to be surrounded by, you know, three and D ish wings, you know, that are versatile, obviously they can shoot and then a big that can do both. Right. I mean, I know that's asking for a lot, but the big is certainly can step out because LaMelo is a high, he's going to be a high usage offensive hub. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. And we, he needs the space to probe, you know, within the arc and he needs guys that can step out and, and give him that space to, to work and, and be a genius as we've seen that he can be, you know, early on, but, you know, and then obviously a secondary ball handler kind of option, mm -hmm. uh, which this team doesn't really have much of right now either, you know, which is why the ball flies around as much as it does. Mm -hmm. Zamal is really, really the only guy you can give it to. And it's just going to get you offense, right. Uh, just by pounding the rock. So those are just like some of the kind of low hanging fruit fits, I would say long-term for LaMelo in this roster. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll probably echo a fair amount of what you guys just said. I think like uh, just a high, you, cause you, cause the way you're thinking about LaMelo, 
you're thinking heliocentric offense around a guard that's going to give you a lot of usage and a lot of like creation, right? Just in general, assist rate, usage rate, you know, those metrics aren't necessarily perfect, but you know, a lot of both of those things. Um, but right now, you know, he can't really put great pressure on the rim. It shows moments of burst, shows moments when he looks explosive. But, you know, we'll see where he settles in terms of a guy that how many free, how many fouls can he draw? How many, how many, how often can he get to the line? Um, you know, maybe he really does become an apex rim attacker, but that's probably unlikely. So I want to, I want a wing that can give me efficient usage shooting, scoring, and put pressure on the rim. Like Melo's definitely going to have to get better, Mm -hmm. but I'd like to have one more guy that he can partner up with. Um, You know, just like a souped up version of Hayward, honestly, like, you know, Hayward plus some percentage. And and so I'm advocating for, you know, an all-star level wing. I, I understand that. That's, that's a big ask. But someone like that, someone that Hayward, that that LaMelo can run two-man partnership with that you can get just easy off. Because just like if you're thinking down the road in a postseason setting, leverage situations, wouldn't it be great to just run LaMelo plus, you know, all-star wing X pick and roll, pick and pop, uh, get into offense. I mean, that's that's the like obvious offense stuff that you want. Um, plus just in the thought of building like a top five, the top 10 offense around them, like you're going to sort of need a guy like that to stabilize things. I think, um, you're not going to get the best version of LaMelo until you get a legit rim runner on this roster too, period. Like that end of still, like you can't even, the conversation almost can't go beyond that. Uh, Mobley is so much more than a rim runner. I mean, he basically can do everything. Uh, he can pass, he can face up, he can shoot. He's an amazing short roll passer. He's a great post passer. Um, you know, maybe that's that's a little overvalued in some ways, but I, I think legitimately you could run some offense through Mobley in the post uh, eventually. And, and defensively, he's a total tear around the basket. He would be perfect. Any of those like horn sets where one guy slips, one guy rolls with PJ and Evan Mobley and Lamelo would be dynamite because you could just flip every play like who rolls, who pops. You can get good offense off that almost every single every single time um, to that end, I would want to pick and pop threat too. We, we talked earlier on this pod about how good LaMelo is um, as a pick and pop passer, the hook passes, the behind the back passes. And ideally I'd like to have one of those guys coming from my front court. So I think PJ is a pretty nice fit with LaMelo, um, you know, sort of like long-term um, I really do. And in, 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 in like a, the best version of PJ is a guy that can also, you know, put it on the deck, drive it, LaMelo relocates. And, you know, you can, you can even get to some two man stuff off of that as well. And then certainly shooters and cutters. Mm -hmm. And ideally I'd like some of those three and D types. Like we all know that LaMelo, not that bad of a defender. Maybe he's going to struggle a little bit in terms of pick and roll. Like it needs to get stronger, needs to get, I think more flexible. Um, You know, he's going to test your, like the, the physio staff of your team. Like it's their job to help get him better too. But um, like I'd like ideally it would be great to have two other wings that are better, two wings or two guards, whatever that are better defenders than Lamelo. Not because you need to hide him, but because if you could stick Lamelo on a shooter, you know, like a low usage, just spot up shooter, well then all of a sudden you get the best version of him defensively, right? Him as a as a guy that can get into passing lanes, hit his spots as a help defender, and just hunt defensive rebounds to launch you into transition too. So 
you know, I'm asking for, we're asking for a lot right now, <laughs> but why the hell not? You know? And uh, right now I don't think most of what you need is probably on the roster, but um yeah, they, they can, they can build this thing out. It's going to take some luck and some smart decision-making and LaMelo getting a lot, lot better. But, uh, but yeah, I would say usage wing that can pressure the rim rim runner in the middle of the court and a pick and pop threat too. And, and yeah, I mean, Mobley would be like a godsend, but I, I feel he, the four game winning streaks are nice, but Evan Mobley slips a little bit further away. Uh, every time the you know, the Hornets pull one out in uh, in winning time. All right, last question for the episode. Bigger issue for the Hornets long-term, lack of finishing at the rim or defensive struggles? I think it's a good question here and one that I had to think about. Now, the Hornets, you know, coming into this game, were a top, what, 10, 15 defense. They, they've, been, they've been competing on that end. At, at times, mm-hmm. it looks like they scramble a lot. Maybe it's like a controlled scrambling that I, that I look at sometimes. But I think the issue that would be more concerning to me would be the defensive struggles if that were to kind of take a dive. I think that, not that they're related by any means, but I think a good defense can make up for uh, a team that is finishing or you know that is not finishing at the rim there's there's just so much that goes into the defensive side of the court it can almost deflate a team uh, if you're constantly getting beat or uh, giving up tons of points so I'm not really sure what this question's asking maybe I'm answering this question wrong but there's just more moving parts on the defensive side of the court and I, I think for long term you've got to shore up the defensive side of the court and maybe you can deal with some of the finishing issues at the rim yeah, I mean, I, I think the finishing issues at the rim are, are mostly just like personnel, right? I mean, and you could say the same thing about defense. I, I think the finishing will get better at the rim as the talent it gets better too. Why I would think it, the answer to this question, certainly long-term is defense. You know, as I, I think Borrego is, you know, like Brian was saying earlier, I mean, the Hornets are leading the league in possessions in, in the zone. If we watch them every game, it shouldn't surprise anyone. But like that's, you know, zone defense in the NBA, not not a not a long-term recipe for success. It's just not. Um, and I understand why Brego's doing it. He's trying to patch something together that resembles an NBA defense. And with his, with the personnel that he has, he, he, you know, he don't want to play man to man. The guy wants to keep his job. Right. So he's trying to patch together a defense. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like kind of what it boils down to. I don't like it. I don't, I, I wonder when he does get the horses, if he's still a coach in Charlotte, you know, well, when we can pressure the ball when we can get in passing lanes and we can, you know, hedge and, and, and play back. Like we have the personnel, uh, he, he's going to have to prove it defensively, I guess, as a coach. So I wonder about that a, a little bit. It doesn't mean that playing his own right now and trying to win ball games is the wrong thing to do. It's just, I just wonder, we've seen a lot of stuff from D, from Borrego defensively at this point in his coaching career. So I, I remain a skeptic about him in that area. I would say brilliant offensive mind, love, love what he yeah. instills in his teams offensively. I, I have some questions defensively though. And it, and again, it's it's a personnel thing. I understand why he's doing it, mm-hmm. but I, I don't I don't have a lot of confidence in him as of yet as a defensive coach. Yeah, I think we all on this pod, or probably everyone listening to it, we all understand to some degree just how important it is for for an offense to be able to pressure the rim, right? You want it, you want volume at the rim because those are the most efficient shots, and that's what leads to free throws. Um, basically. The, the the anti what Nick Batum was the last two and a half seasons he was in Charlotte and boy don't we love to see him playing so well for the Clippers everyone <laughs> Do we? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, <laughs> the little tongue in cheek there I mean I'm I'm legitimately happy for him but it is amazing that like Nick Batum 
had the usage of some guy that was falling out of the league over the last two seasons. And like now he is a starter and a valuable contributor for the second best basketball team in the world. Anyways, that aside. So we realized that that's important, but yeah, I'm siding with you guys. Like I think ultimately where they're at with the zone right now, that it has certainly helped them win some games. I think they've gotten some shooting luck. I think they've gotten some luck just in terms of running into certain teams at the right time. Like, you know, new Orleans has not really figured their thing out. And like, there are a horrible Spencer. You tweeted about this a bunch leading into that game. Like the Pels, not a good three point shooting team. Um, the Hawks have injuries and are like not really in a good place right now. Um, both in terms of what the on-court product looks like and maybe what were some reports out of Atlanta that was, you know, maybe John Collins is not super thrilled about, you know, his role at the moment or whatever. So Charlotte sort of ran into them at the the right time. Um, when they played the Sixers, it didn't, the zone didn't look so good, you know, against uh, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris and all the other, you know, Seth Curry and all, all the rest of the Sixers really good players. So yeah, it's going to be, eventually settling in so that you can be a tough man-to-man defensive team and all the zone concepts like you use all of that stuff those are it's like special teams you know it's like you use that to thwart an opponent's ATO use that over a three and a half minute stretch in the fourth quarter of a in you know of a leverage you know leverage situation in in a tight game and that's what you know, you use the box and one on Kemba Walker if you're Nick Nurse or whatever. You know what I mean? You, I'm not even trying to say it's like it's a junk thing. It's a situational thing. I don't. I don't think long term it's it's really like a sustainable thing. And everyone, I I don't think I doubt anyone in, in the Sean the Charlotte coach, coaching staff thinks of it that way. It's just it's a good way to play Lamelo now. It's a good way for them to probably try to win some games. But like it's giving up once again tonight. It gave up a ton of shots at the rim. It gave up a ton of corner threes. So like. Ultimately, it's not going to be that sustainable, but it helps when the opponent is turning it over to you uh, a good bit. Um, so, yeah, I would say defense and, and getting the right personnel in and, 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 and getting, you know, LaMelo better as an on-ball defender too. That long-term, those are the bigger concerns. Um, but but I, the point is well taken. Like, it matters that they're going to be able to, like, eventually pressure the rim with efficiency and, you know, off a dribble uh, on the offensive end too. I'd love to know how many possessions they played in the zone tonight. It just felt like a ton. It felt like a ton. And <laughs> yeah. I, I got I to gotta find this clip. I'll share it with you guys. And, <laughs> and maybe I was kind of overanalyzing it. But at one point, Miles Bridges was in the zone, and he was the guy, like, in the paint. So he, he wasn't really guarding anyone. So he had to get out of there. And he chose, like, the most weird path to get out <laughs> of the lane. Like, he went, instead of going the shortest path, he went up towards the free throw line. And I was like, "What are you doing? Just, just step out, come back in." It, it, was, it was funny to watch. I love the I love the adventures in Miles' mind. Like, <laughs> exactly. like the, I exactly. would love to know like what is going through his head on like a possession by possession basis in yeah. a game. Sometimes, you know what I mean. Just- He's like, ah, I'm gonna make. That. I'm gonna play some hopscotch. Get out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not just gonna <laughs> yeah. run out. Like, like you gotta make this interesting. One time down the court, it really might be like music. Like it might be beats. Like <laughs> yeah. we know that he is an artist yeah. and a talented one. Like it just, it might be different every single possession. I like, I like what he's doing. I mean, some nights, it, not the most efficient offensive player, and he can sort of like get lost in the matrix defensively. But um, yeah, he does stuff too. Like he, he he impacts this game in ways that are important for the team right now. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
right, guys, we want to thank you guys for tuning in to another episode, and we plan on having another episode this week to finish answering your questions. For Spencer and Brian, I am Richie, and we will see you guys next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.